This episode was brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for business. Ladies and gentlemen, my absolute pleasure today to welcome to Unstoppable is Adam <laughs> Mendler. Adam, thank you so much for coming on, mate. Appreciate having you here. Kerwin, thanks for having me, man. Excited to be here. Excited to be here with you and with your listeners. Yeah, man. This is and you're coming, you're broadcasting live from LA. Is that right? Whereabouts in LA are you? I am. I'm here in Westwood. So for listeners across the globe who might not know where Westwood is, it's right next to Beverly Hills. It's right next to UCLA. So it's actually right smack in the middle of Los Angeles. So it's yeah, right. pretty central. Yeah. I got to say, uh, LA, I can see here that you're an LA native and a, a big Angels fan. I, um, LA is probably one of my second favorite places on the planet. Santa Monica is my second home. Uh, and I am, I've got to tell you right now, I am having withdrawals because normally every year at Christmas time, I normally go over there uh, and spend a little bit of time there on my way to or from Canada. So, uh, Mate, it's it's great to have you have you here. So, mate, I know you've got an interesting background. You've got an incredible story. I know you've had three businesses yourself. You know, you've done a lot outside of that. You've interviewed hundreds of some of the most you know successful pioneers and leaders, you know, and entrepreneurs in a range of different businesses from a whole range of different sizes. But I'm curious to know how you answer this question. I ask every guest this question, like when you're at a dinner party. Let's say there's eight people there that you've never really met before. Uh, the conversation dies down. It turns to you and someone asks you this question, Adam. They say, Adam, so what do you do? How do you answer that question, mate? <laughs> I love it. And it's a question that I'm asked all the time. And I just answer it very easily. I say I'm an entrepreneur and I try to move on because I'd rather talk about other people than talk about myself. Usually that doesn't sufficiently answer the question. At Kerwin, I'm sure what you've discovered is when you say you're an entrepreneur, people, I'd say nine times out of 10, tend to think that that means that you don't do anything. It means they think that that means that you're uh, some kind of you know, fraud or phony or whatever. And that's fine. I'm happy with people thinking whatever they want to think. So I like to set the table and just say, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, well, what kind of entrepreneur are you? And I'll tell you and your listeners a little bit of a funny story. Uh, one time I was on a date and uh, not only one time, I've been on more than one date, but one time I was on a date and someone asked me, so what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm, an, I'm an entrepreneur. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Everyone's an entrepreneur. What, what kind of business do you have? I have a few different businesses, you know, run a couple different businesses in different industries. Okay, well, what businesses do you have? Oh, well, you know, our main business, we have a office furniture company. We're actually the leading sellers in the country of refurbished brand name office chairs. So we sell Herman Miller Aeron chairs. The company's called Beverly Hills Chairs. And the Herman, and I started getting into it with her. And she says, oh, I've, I've actually bought a bunch of chairs from you guys. <laughs> so she turned out to be one of our customers. So, um, oh, that's gold. So I was like, oh, cool. Th thank you. I hope you had a good experience. And, um, that's gold. That's gold. But I, yeah. I'm a big fan of Herman Miller, actually. So that's uh, that's really quite interesting, mate. I don't I don't struggle with those conversations. So when people ask me what do I do, I say I'm an ass model for Calvin Klein, and that normally shuts the conversation. <laughs> 
But mate, you've got a really interesting background. So when you share your story, Adam, like where does it all begin for you? Because I look, everyone's entrepreneurial journey is a little bit different. Some people get into entrepreneurship, you know, you know, voids can breed the value. They didn't grow up with a lot of money, and so they go out, you know, set out to to have more. What was your driver? How did your entrepreneurial journey get started? Yeah, crew, and great question. And I always tell people that I'm a bit of an accidental entrepreneur. I never aspired to be an entrepreneur. I didn't aspire to have my own business to run. Uh, when I was a kid, I know this might come as a surprise to some people in Australia, but uh, who, who might not understand the passion for this subject. But when I was a kid, my dream and my goal was really to run a baseball team. Uh, yeah, in America, we love baseball. And that was what I wanted to do really all the way through uh, my early to mid 20s. And it wasn't until I was in my late 20s, having worked for some big companies, I had worked for two really big companies in the financial services world, I had interned for two really big companies in the world of entertainment. Um, I felt like at age 28, I had this big corporate experience under my belt. I knew what life was like in corporate America. I knew what my life would look like for the next however many years if I was going to continue down that corporate road. And I felt like it was the right time for me to try to do something more entrepreneurial. I felt like if there was ever going to be a good time in my life for me to try to do something entrepreneurial, it was that moment. My energy was never going to be higher. My expenses were never going to be lower. I also wanted to make more of an impact. Uh, I felt like I had an opportunity to make an impact that when you're working for a big company, you feel like you may not necessarily be able to make. Um, I wanted to take some of the things that I thought I could do and enact them in a way to ultimately uplift others. And putting that all together really inspired me to start the Velos Group. And my feeling was, I thought that there was a, a decent chance that I, I understand numbers and I know that at the end of the day, most businesses, particularly new businesses, go under. And I knew that there was a decent chance that it would fail, but who cares? If, if I failed, so what? I would be okay with that. Um, so I was fine just going out and Go, you know, I didn't think I was going to fail, but but if I did, I, I was okay with it. So I was, I had sort of had the the courage and the confidence to go out and make it happen, and uh, the rest is history. And what was the first business, mate? What was your first venture? So my brother and I started uh, together. We uh, he left what he was doing, I left what I was doing, and what we did was we took all the ideas that we had. And I don't recommend this to other people. This was a mistake we made. And it was a mistake made by two people with very, very big eyes and the, uh, not necessarily the experience to match it. But what we did was we took all the ideas we had, we wrote them down, and we started pushing on them. So we started the Velos Group, which is our parent company. and in our first year, we probably pushed on like 10 different business ideas. And we were just trying to take everything under the sun that we thought we could 
successfully incubate and and we were pushing on it and uh the truth is it wasn't until our second year as a business that we came to the realization that that model was impossible uh, to execute on and um to answer your question the first idea we had was all the above and it wasn't really until we learned the importance of taking a step back and instead of pushing on all of our ideas um scaling back and we then realized that the two ideas we had that were closest to monetization uh were the office furniture concept which became beverly hills chairs and our cigar concept which became custom tobacco so those were the two businesses that we then decided to really focus on and so how long have those businesses been running now um i want to say just doing very quick math uh you know around eight years wow that's great mate yeah and and you do other stuff now as well i i understand you also uh consult is that right? yeah so so we started uh, a third business uh our two e-commerce businesses, um, you know, once they were up and running and, you know, legitimate businesses, um, we saw another opportunity around software development. Essentially, what we had realized was that um, what, what, what came easy to us was something that a lot of other companies were struggling with, and that was the ability to source high-level software developers at a cost-effective rate um, and without boring your listeners on the mechanics of how we put this business together we essentially uh, formed a third business called velo solutions and um and that's the third company that we run today i also personally do some consulting around leadership and around um, management. So kind of in addition to the entrepreneurial work that I do in my capacity as CEO of the Velos Group, um, I do quite a bit of speaking and have a podcast and that carries over into consulting with big companies, consulting with executives, consulting with people at all levels on the area of leadership, how to become a better leader how to help people around you become the best leaders that they can be. And you've, you've obviously got a bit of a passion for the subject of leadership. You know, I know you've interviewed over 300 of America's top uh, business leaders in their fields. Um, and through that process, I'm going to assume you've learned a lot about your own style of leadership, your own style of management and the other styles of leadership and other styles of management out there. But I think it's really important just to get a distinction, like in your book, before we dive into those two subjects, like what's the difference in your mind between leadership and management? Yeah, it's a great question. It's a topic we could truly spend the whole podcast on. And I've heard people who uh, I respect and admire, including people I've interviewed, dive into this topic. And a definition that I heard that I like is management is what you do. Leadership is who you are. And I think that that summarizes it. To me, management is about getting people around you to operate as effectively as possible. How can the people who work for you 
become as good at what they're doing as they possibly can. That's management. Mm. Uh, leadership is a bigger topic. Leadership is a, a question of how can everyone around you become their best selves, become the best version of who they can possibly be to ultimately help the organization become the most successful that it can possibly be. So I view leadership in a much uh, broader, more holistic lens. And I think it's, it's probably fair to say that leadership and management are two of those things that are really critical, you know, in any business, especially a business that is moving towards scale. Um, you know, because if we're not managing outcomes, if we're not leading the team, if we're not setting the culture, you know, with what's being demonstrated, then, you know, scaling a business can be quite difficult. So what have been some of the biggest lessons you've learned? You know, I would say your top three biggest lessons that you've learned, not just from your own experience, but also from interviewing some of the greatest uh, that you've had the privilege to talk to. When it comes to management, what, are you, what have been your top three lessons that you've, you've learned when it comes to doing management well, whether it be self-management or, you know, managing teams? What are the biggest things to take? Yeah, Kerwin, I could give you um, 300. Yeah. But, uh, giving, giving three lessons can be a challenge just because uh, there are so many. Mm. But if you want just three... Uh, I'll throw them out in no particular order. Uh, one thing that I've learned by doing 30-minute mentors, my podcast, is uh, I've really uh, come to learn the importance of just how critical lifelong learning is to effective leadership. I think that might actually be the most important, if not as important as any attribute. And what do I mean when I say that specifically when I started my podcast, 30 minute mentors and to give listeners a little bit of background each week, I go one-on-one -on -one with one of the most successful people out there, you know, fortune 500 CEOs, founders of billion dollar companies, hall of fame, athletes, the generals, admirals, literally the most successful people and ask them about their journey to the top and how listeners can get to the top as well. We really, drill down into actionable advice. And when I started the podcast, I thought that my audience would really consist of the quote unquote emerging leader demographic. Uh, so students, young professionals, people in the early stages of the early stages of their journeys. And what I've come to discover is that yes, my content, my show, definitely appeals to and resonates with that audience. It's certainly a good chunk of my listenership, but the group that really, really soaks in this content to the same extent, not more, is the same group that I'm interviewing. It's my guests. It's the Fortune 500 CEOs. It's the generals, the admirals, the, the unbelievably successful entrepreneurs and investors. And the reason why is because they are always trying to grow and learn and develop and become better, no matter how successful they are, even if they are considered the most successful people in their fields, the absolute leaders in their fields are continually trying to get better. And my observation is that's precisely why they're leaders in their fields, because they are always trying to get better. 
always trying to grow, always trying to improve. They are open to ideas, open to feedback, open, their minds are open. Um, so that's a big one. That's something that I think all listeners should really take in because sometimes when you attain a level of success, you become more set in your ways. You have, a, have this sense that I've accomplished something. So now I'm, that must mean that I know what I'm doing. Um, and, and that might harden you. So this will kind of lead to a second point. That might, this might harden you to um, feedback. Uh, whereas in reality, uh, all great leaders are great listeners. And it's incredibly important to be open to feedback and to listen. Um, to surround yourself with great people, to not only be open-minded, but to uh, proactively seek out the wisdom and guidance of others. So that's a, a second big area that anyone interested in becoming a better leader needs to really internalize. Um, and third area, which is something that I speak quite a bit to audiences about and has really just been reinforced with all the work that I do, um, both through my own leadership and through my thought leadership interviews, whatever you want to call it. Um, I'm a firm believer that before you can effectively lead others, you need to be able to lead your own life. You need to understand who you are. You need to understand your strengths. You need to understand your weaknesses. You need to be comfortable in your own skin. And no one is going to follow you as a leader if you aren't following yourself. One of the things that I've observed about the people who I've interviewed, and again, we're taught, you can literally just look through the list of podcast guests, um, is on paper, these are really, really big names, but uh, in reality, these are all really, really real people. They're humble people. They're people who are in touch with themselves. They're people who are extremely self-aware. Um, I will give you an example. I had uh, Admiral Stavridis, Admiral Jim Stavridis on my podcast. Admiral Stavridis is one of the most revered military leaders of our generation. He is a retired four-star admiral. He was the chief allied commander of NATO. Um, when Hillary Clinton was running for president, uh, he was on the short list to be her running mate. When Donald Trump won the election, he interviewed Admiral Savarese to be secretary of state. Uh, he declined a position in the Trump administration. Democrats and Republicans can't agree on anything, but they can agree that He's literally as good as it gets. Um, if you listen to that episode, you'll hear him poke fun at himself, poke fun at his height. Just That's just who he is. And the truth is, the people who I've interviewed off the air are as cool as they are on the air. They're interested in me. They're interested in my success. And that that just says a lot about who they are as people. And that says a lot about what it means to be a successful person, what it means to be a successful leader. It isn't about you. It's about taking an interest in others in a genuine, authentic way. So I occur when I meant it authentically, when I said there are literally hundreds and hundreds of these yeah. we can tick off, but those are three. 
it's the worst question in the world when someone says like, what the, <laughs> what's the number one thing you can do when it comes to getting this result? And it's like, you know, there's like 20 number one <laughs> things. Um, and I guess this is the beauty of the experience that you've got. You get to assimilate the information and really, you know, uh, distill some of the best lessons that you've learned, not just from yourself and your own experience, but from those incredible leaders that you've spoken to. So with that in mind, like what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see people make like on their journey in entrepreneurship? You know, and when it comes to management and leadership, I'm sure, again, there could be 300 big mistakes that everybody makes. But what's the either the number one or the top three mistakes that people make that in most cases they're oblivious to? So by virtue of us talking about it here, it might actually make someone go, shit, I do that. And I didn't even realize I did it. Okay. I'm going to give you two really, really big ones for entrepreneurs. And then I'll give you a couple of uh, mistakes for leaders. So for entrepreneurs, what are, what are two huge mistakes that I see people make all the time? Um, the first one is a mistake that I personally made, so I'm especially sensitive to it. Uh, the second one is, is not a mistake that I've made at all. In fact, it's, it's one that uh, very fortunately I haven't made, but, uh, but I'm very passionate about. So on the, on the, for the entrepreneurs, Anyone who is an entrepreneur, and even if you're not an entrepreneur, this is still relevant to you. Um, what happens is us entrepreneurs get very passionate about our ideas. We fall in love with our ideas, which should be great. But in reality, what happens is you forget the importance of the process, this process small process called customer discovery. And what I find happens, and I, I made this mistake, so I, I don't say this being judgmental, I say this having you know, gone through it myself. But what happens is you fall so in love with your idea, you fall so in love with whatever product or service that you're bringing into the marketplace that you fail to do the very needed homework, which is understanding, number one, who is your customer? Who is your core customer? Who is your beachhead customer? Truly understanding who that customer is. And number two, understanding whether that customer actually loves your product anywhere near as much as you do. And Every entrepreneur needs to go through that journey, needs to truly understand who their core customer is to a T. You can go through each and every one of my businesses. We've had to go through that journey um, the hard way. I wish we did it the easy way, which is before you start your business, you should undertake this process of customer discovery. It's a topic that I talk a lot about because it's an area of passion for me. But that's a huge mistake that entrepreneurs make. Um, a second area that I see a lot is um, around, we'll call it customer centricity. I think there's nothing more important for a business owner, for an entrepreneur, for a leader of a business to be customer centric. And that means fully focusing on your customer, not only in the discovery phase, but in every aspect of your business, every person on your team who has any impact at all on the customer experience, 
who touches the customer in any way possible needs to be customer centric. The customer is always right. You need to have an attitude that you're there to truly make each and every one of your customers happy, as hard as that may seem in certain circumstances. And I think that a lot of businesses and a lot of entrepreneurs lose sight of that. And uh, having been on the opposite side of the table uh, as a customer who's experienced poor customer service, I shake my head and I say, as an entrepreneur, I understand what the cost of poor customer service is. I do everything in my power to run businesses that truly cater to each of our customers to the point where my goal is for every one of my customers to ultimately become a brand ambassador. And that should be the aspiration of every entrepreneur. So those are a couple of areas uh, for entrepreneurs. Um, for leaders, a, a big area that we see lots of mistakes made, um, it, and again, this is, we can talk about so many of these, but to pick one um, surrounds hiring. Um, this is an area that unfortunately, um, no matter what company size you're leading, no matter what industry you're in, it seems like leaders really struggle with hiring. And um, I think that some of the problems that leaders have around hiring um, can be solved with rethinking what metrics leaders value when it comes to hiring. Mm. So I think that too often we place a premium on what school did the candidate go to? What jobs did the candidate have before? What kind of companies did the candidate work for? What um, were their grades? What were their test scores? Um, we look a lot at the things that are easy for us to delineate. And I can tell you that um, having applied for jobs, um, I've gotten hired by companies and I've had job offers where I was completely unqualified. But, you know, I had a, I had a great resume. I was very qualified on paper, but I probably wasn't the best candidate they could have hired, but I, but I look great on paper. And in my experience as an employer, as a leader, the worst hires we've made are those who have had the best credentials. The best hires we made are the ones who um, have had the credentials that companies would, where, where they, they've had the kind of credentials that companies would look at and say, this person's not qualified to work here. So what should leaders look for? What does matter? What do I care about as a leader? And what should other leaders care about too? I want someone who has a winning attitude. I want someone who has a can-do attitude. I want someone who is a problem solver. Um, as an entrepreneur, as a leader, you have to figure things out. Uh, you have to ultimately, um, no matter what the challenge is, come up with a solution. And you want people around you, you want people on your team with that mindset, with that, with that mentality, who are going to be able to figure things out, who are going to be able to problem solve. 
Um, that's a huge thing. I want people who are team oriented, who are collaborative in their nature, who uplift those around them. Uh, culture is a huge topic of importance. And I'm a very big believer that the best way to build a winning culture is by hiring winning people. And with every great person you hire, you uplift your culture. With every bad person you hire, you run the risk of completely imploding your culture. So what I encourage leaders to look at is the human being. Who is this person as a person? And forget about this other stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I went to great school. Who cares? What difference does it make that that I went to good universities? How does that impact my ability when the going gets tough? Am I going to be the kind of person who is going to rise to the occasion? Do, do, are people going to want to be around me or are they going to want to work with me? These are things that I care. Mm. I'm, I'm curious because you have obviously interviewed people in a whole range of different from a whole range of different backgrounds. You know, you've got sporting, you've got media, you've got military, you've got business in a whole range of different sectors. Who's the most memorable interview that you've ever <laughs> And why? Yeah, this is a tough one. These are tough questions. Um, this is actually the toughest question. The other questions you've asked me are tough because there, there are so, there's so much to talk about. Yeah. Uh, this question is tough because ah, the truth is every interview I do is uh, a memorable experience to me. I really invest a lot in each and every one of these interviews. And um, I'm a very big believer in the importance of preparation. John Wooden, the great basketball coach, uh, has a line that I quote a lot. Anyone who has listened to my podcast has probably heard, this, heard me say this line. But, uh, you know, uh, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. So going into every interview, I, I feel fired up. Um, but if I, if I did have to pick just one, um, I will kind of on the theme of uh, John Wooden, I'll, I'll pick John Wooden's mentee. So I don't know how well known he is in Australia, but I recently did an interview with uh, Bill Walton. So Bill Walton is a legendary basketball player, uh, but he's also a legendary broadcaster and uh, just a legendary human being. So uh, a legend all the way around. And um, there are so many reasons why uh, Bill Walton is just a special individual. Uh, but I will say this, Bill Walton uh, forced me to, to break form on my podcast. So it was the longest one I've ever done. I tried to keep them to around 30 minutes. I couldn't do that with Bill Walton, but it was worth uh, extending it. He's uh, one of a kind. So if I had to pick just one, I don't know that I can, but if you're putting a gun to my head, Bill Walton is a one of a kind type of person. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna make the, the tough questions even tougher. Um, again, you're in the in the business of business and entrepreneurship. You've been exposed to a range of industries. You give advice and you receive advice. What's the best piece of advice that you can give or that you've received that has, I guess you could say, the most practical application in a range of scenarios? 
Yeah, it's a good question. And, um, you know, I can't, I can't offend uh, my mom. So I'm gonna have to give a piece of advice that I got from my mom, <laughs> uh, which is very applicable to me. And I think very applicable to anyone tuning in. And I, I know I'm not going to say it as eloquently as she said it to me. But her advice to me uh, in a conversation we had was, if you have one life, this is your life. You need to do, you need to live it for yourself. You need to live it on your terms. Life is hard enough as it is. So don't try to do things to make other people happy. Uh, do things that you think are right and live it on your terms. And um, I don't know if she used those words, but that was my interpretation of her message. And it's something that I believe in so strongly. And I think that all too often we um, have a tendency to try to do things for other people. Mm -hmm. it's, it's very important to be mindful of the needs of other people, but there's a line between wanting to help other people and wanting to be of service to others and um, living other people's expectations of our lives. And I think it's to that point imperative for anyone listening to take control of your own journey, to recognize what it is that you want to do with your life and to live it. And to live it on your terms, not on someone else's terms. That's, uh, that's sage advice. And it sounds like you've you've got a very wise mum. Uh, <laughs> I, I am. Oh, well, I, I I think that's evident by the person that you are today. I appreciate um, that, mate. I am curious though. Like you've obviously got a lot on your plate. There's a lot of things that you're you're constantly doing. Um, what's next for you? Like, have you got any new projects that are on the horizon? Stay tuned. There's always. As an entrepreneur, there are always things in the pipeline. There are always things in the cooker. So I would uh, encourage anyone interested in whatever is coming up to stay tuned. Um, working on a few different things, but it, to be completely honest, Kerwin, my main focus now is just to continue to build what I'm currently doing. So uh, on the entrepreneurial side, um, we're working on a few different things, particularly around our office furniture business. Um, I'm continually trying to um, make my podcast as good as it could possibly be, doing a lot of speaking. Um, I, you know, even in this virtual environment, been talking to different organizations about leadership, about how anyone out there can become the best leader they could be. I, do, to your point earlier, I do give a talk on lessons from America's top leaders because it's hard to answer one question, but in an hour, we could pack that all in. Yeah, well. um, but there are a few other things that uh, I hope to roll out in the new year, and we'll see if, uh, if I can get to that. Now, Adam, I hope you don't mind me saying this, and I certainly hope it doesn't cause any offense, but... Do you often get compared to, or do people often say to you, you look a little bit like Jeremy Piven? Do you get that much? No, I've actually never heard that before. You're the first person. <laughs> no yeah. way. I, You're literally, I've got, I've... literally the first person that's, that's told me that. Yeah. If 
someone else had told me I would, I would say yes, but um, <laughs> you're you're the first person to ever say that um, ever. Wow. So, it it um, must be the uh, the down under perspective. It just must be the angle <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at you. From. Yeah, no one's ever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> All right. We'll 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 sort like that one. Uh, Adam, thank you so much for your time, mate. Thank you so much for your experience. If people want to find out more about you, more about your podcast uh, and things that you get up to, where can they find out more information, mate? So, uh, Curran, firstly, this was a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Thanks for the fun conversation. This was awesome. Thank you. Anyone interested in connecting, I've tried to make it really easy. It's just my name, Adam Mendler. So you can find me at adammendler.com. You can find me on social media at Adam Mendler. So that's at Adam Mendler on Instagram, at Adam Mendler on Twitter. My podcast, 30 Minute Mentors, that's all spelled out, 30 Minute Mentors, is available on every major podcasting app. So whatever app you're listening to this great podcast on, you can listen and subscribe to 30 Minute Mentors. You could also go to 30minutementors.com and find lots of information and in all the episodes there and um, look forward to uh, connecting with listeners of this podcast from down under from all over. I have a, one of my, actually one of my best friends is, uh, is down under and uh, he was my workout buddy back when we were in business school. So uh, I missed the guy, Sarab, if you're listening, I don't know if Sarab is, so he's, He's in Melbourne, and um, I, I know this might ruffle some feathers, but Sarab kind of brainwashed me because when we were in business school, we would work out together, and every day I would, you know, I'm on there on the bench press and just trying to lift weights, and I would just hear all these horror stories about how terrible Sydney is. So, um, you know, Sarab has poisoned Sydney to me. Because he's yeah. he's this hardcore Melbourne guy. Oh, look! But, oh, uh, we, we we can't. We can. He can be forgiven. Like Melbourne's got very, <laughs> Melbourne's got great coffee, good fashion, um, and uh, basically, yeah, draconian like lockdown laws. But you know, that's nothing to do. <laughs> that's nothing to poke some fun at. But uh, there is a bit of a healthy rivalry. I, I think it's fair to say between all the states in this country. Adam, thank you so much for your time. Thank you again so much for your patience and experience. And uh, yeah, who knows? Maybe we can do a follow up this at some point in the future. Hey, Kerwin, this is awesome, man. Thanks again for having me, and thank you to all of your listeners. Uh, this was so much fun. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Adam Mendler on Unstoppable. You can check all the details in the uh, information below. This episode is brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for businesses. If you have ever wanted to grow your business faster than what you can right now, if you need to make more revenue, if you need more leads, if you need more clients, if you need to know how to plan your business in a strategic way in order to hit big goals, if you need to learn how to scale your business and grow your team and your business so that you have more freedom, then this program is for you. Imagine three days immersed with me where we cover all aspects of business, but we do it from an immersive but also an execution standpoint. We execute every step of the way and we're looking at five key areas we're looking at your psychology we're looking at your marketing your sales your leadership and we're looking at your planning and how we integrate these five key areas to grow your business and your brand quickly so if you'd like to find out more information kerwinray.com